Hello everyone, my name is Caleb Walgren and you're listening to Season 5, Episode 21 of Brody Sports Talk. I, of course, am the founder of the podcast and I am joined by a lover of podcasts and a man who truly finds, you know, 28 to 3 might be a deficit, but 28 to 7 is a deficit that he likes to see his team come back from. And that is Captain Orange, Derek Rusnick. Uh, Derek, a dub is a dub. Uh, how are you doing today? Oh, my goodness. I I don't even – I don't care anymore. I really – it hurts. Like, you're telling me that the worst team in probably – five years is on a football field and you have to have a 21 point comeback to beat them. Like what is going on with this defense? What's going on with this? I mean, Russell Wilson's playing pretty good. Um, but what is going on with this team? I don't understand, but it's a dub's a dub and you're, uh, I'll take it. Um, beating the bears. Hey, if there's one thing that Packers and Broncos can celebrate together is that we've both beaten the bears at soldier field this year. So let's unite. Yeah. (laughs) It's uh, two of our combined three wins this season. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. Uh, Hey, at least the Broncos won this week. Can't say that about your, uh, the team you own. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, Uh, Let me just go through a quick rundown of what we're going to talk about here today on the podcast. We have our Brody Spotlights, where we both take uh, something that we want to talk about in the world of sports and just elaborate on that. Uh, We have our Goats of the Week, the NFL Stockwatch. Instead of going to Thursday night this week, because we've already ragged on the Bears several times on this podcast, uh, instead of talking about how we think the Commanders will own them, Uh, We are going to go ahead and just skip that one and have a different game of the week this week, uh, going to college this time. And then we will, of course, wrap things up with high fives, handshakes, and our very own Brody Betts. But to get us started, uh, instead of having that that happy moment that we have with the Brody Betts, Derek, uh, can you go ahead and uh, shed some light on what your Brody spotlight is this week? Yeah, so I, I am not taking this into a a sad situation. Uh, what I want to say is a fond farewell to Tim Wakefield. Um, he uh, was a pitcher for the Boston Red Sox, and if you've listened to our podcast in the past, uh, everyone knows I'm a Yankees fan. Um, and Tim Wakefield uh, beat the Yankees in that uh, that comeback series where the Yankees were up three nothing and the Red Sox come back win four straight and and head off to the World Series um this uh this last week at the age of 57 Tim Wakefield uh passed due to brain cancer I want to celebrate him I want to uh to point out a few of the good things because I want he was a true competitor and someone, yeah, I rooted against him a lot, but I'll tell you this, I love to watch him pitch. Um, he was famous for the knuckleball, which um, he had, there was no speed to it, there was no curve, it was just, it was straight to you, and it would just dance around the batter. Um, when he was on, he was unhittable. 
Um, if you didn't have a great night, you were having batting practice because that's what a you know 83 mile an hour pitch does. Um, he uh, he had 200 wins, 180 losses in the career. This is what uh, this is back in the day when um, pitchers actually you know you had a 20 20 game uh, winner every year, or you know that's what uh, what pitchers were doing. Nowadays, you don't really have that. You have a staff of pitchers. Um, so, uh, but he pitched from '95. Through 2011 for the Boston Red Sox, and he was part of breaking the curse of the Bambino, where they finally broke through in 2004 uh, to win the World Series. And then a couple years later, um, 2011, he uh, he did it again, helped them to win that one in, in a different uh, a different way. Um, he wasn't a starting pitcher. Um, that one he came out of the bullpen, but still did. A, a really great job to to get that second ring. Um, as a as a Yankee fan, who this was the prime time that I was watching baseball, that I loved baseball. Um, I mean, I saw him a lot. I saw we I watched a lot of Yankee Red Sox games because I hated the Red Sox. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan. What do you expect? And but he there was always a a reverence to him. There's always like, hey, I'm. I'm not bigger than baseball. I, I I'm here to, to pitch, and and baseball is America's pastime. Uh, so that being said, um, I my hopes and my prayers are with the uh, with his family, um, and I want to to bid him a fond farewell from Brody Sports Talk. Uh, thank you for everything you did for baseball and for being a consummate professional. I'll say that I know I don't follow baseball as well as you did during that time, Derek, but I did have some times where I would pull out uh, MLB The Show in the mid-2000s and being able to play a game with Tim Wakefield where it was basically like, pitch, put it in this part of the zone, throw it, like it was just knuckleball. You're not throwing anything else. You're just throwing knuckleballs and the other, like you said, the other person is either basically going to sit there and take (laughs) or they're going to swing and maybe get lucky or feel ridiculous because it is impossible to know, impossible to know where the ball is going to end up. You just have to get enough of them in the strike zone. The fact that he did end up having the record for game started and innings pitched for the Boston Red Sox, I think is huge. Uh, And he's second for that team in strikeouts behind Clemens. So that's awesome. Like Tim Wakefield, he's a legend. He did so much playing and I just wish him and his family the best as uh, we want to remember him quite kindly here. Yeah. Um, before I go to mine, Derek, since we're already talking about Boston, let, let me, let's jump over to the wide world of sports a little bit here because uh, there was some big trades that happened in the NBA this past week. So first one, of course, uh, was that Dame time was going to Milwaukee. Uh, that is right. Damian Lillard, 
he is no longer on the Portland Trailblazers. He has been sent to the Milwaukee Bucks. Big time trade, lots of stuff going on in that trade. And it just, it was a a big one, Derek. Uh, In that trade, Drew Holiday was one of the main pieces that I saw going back to Portland as they were getting some picks, some different things here, and going over to the Trailblazers. And then, of course, Drew Holiday came out a a few days later, and he was traded from the Trailblazers to the Boston Celtics. We've talked on and off before that the Celtics are... They're not inherently your team, but they are the team of your family. So uh, you are happy with them. Um, And of course, they did give up quite a bit for Drew Holiday, Robert Williams, Malcolm Brogdon, a 2024 first rounder from the Warriors and a 2029 first rounder. Um, What do you think this is going to mean seeing Drew Holiday on the Celtics? And what do you think in general about uh, Dame Lillard joining a a fairly stacked Bucks roster, at least uh, at the top. Yeah, so this is the last year of the Joe Mazzula experiment uh, in Boston. Uh, it is win or bust for him. If he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't have a, let's say, top three offense with all of the shooters that he has on his team, if he can't find space, if he can't find, uh, you know, shots for these guys, if he can't put it on a whiteboard, you've got to go get somebody else. Like, you have the unicorn there now. You have Chris, uh, Porzingis. You have Drew. You have, you just brought back JB. You just, uh, you, you've, and Tatum is still there. You have, you have a, a roster now. Yeah. Can they come off the floor? No, they can't come off the floor. You probably don't have many pieces on the back end to, uh, I mean, maybe Blake Griffin's still there. Who knows? But, uh, this is going to, this is going to be a really up and down Celtics team. That's just going to hopefully put the ball into the bucket, a whole bunch on the buck side. Speaking of buck kits, um, I don't know if Dame plays for the Bucks. Like I said, I want to go to the Heat. You, if, you, if I'm not going to go to play for the Heat, I'm not going to play for anybody. Like, okay, you got Giannis there. Cool. I, um, that's fun. But uh, I, I, I think that this is the, the era of I get to pick where I want to go even when I sign a huge contract. And I don't know if he plays. Like if he does play, it's going to be magical. But at this at Who's going to take the, the final shot in that? In that, you know, like you have Lillard there, who has highlight reels of of game winning shots, and you got Giannis, who has brought the city a championship. Who's going to take that final shot? I'm going to say something that's probably uh, very something that I think Bucks fans are opposed to. I, I'm going to say Dame. I just think that in general he. He has more of that clutch gene. And if you're talking about especially a range shot, I think that Dame is someone who I inherently trust more. 
I do think it'll be interesting just to see Giannis potentially taking less of that point forward role because you've got to at least think that Dame's going to bring up the ball quite a bit if they're out there together, but it's just going to look and feel different. But if you're telling me I can have a lineup with Brooke Lopez, Giannis, Chris Middleton, Damian Lillard, and probably like uh, Bobby Portis uh, in crunch time, I'm excited about that kind of a lineup. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see exactly how that turns out for them. Uh, I will say, just going back to the Celtics real quick, this just feels like the right type of move for them. I feel like in general, when I've watched the Celtics so many times, they have that pass the ball first point guard who can also play solid defense. And Drew Holiday has been fantastic. I know he's probably not really a one. He's more of a shooting guard, but he's going to be someone that knows the East in and out. He's going to be a solid defender make things probably a little bit easier for Brown or Tatum on the defensive side of the ball. And you wanted to make it easier because you've got Porzingis back at the back half of that. So it's going to be interesting to see how all of that turns out. Um, Agreed. And I'm hundred percent. Can we please get into your take? Cause I cannot wait. Absolutely. Derek. So, uh, my my uh, spotlight here this week was was just uh, how can you not be romantic about football? And it's me taking a little bit of a riff off of what was said by Aaron Rodgers a couple of years ago after uh, a primetime game. And in general, it's just one of those things where I'm looking around the league and going, man, this league is just something special and unique and you never know exactly what's going to happen uh we have weeks like uh josh allen just having a fantastic game where he found stefan diggs for three touchdowns and the bills trounced the dolphins 48 to 20 uh just a week after the dolphins had scored 70 and every they were the talk of the town uh we have the Cincinnati Bengals getting blown out by the Tennessee Titans 27 to three in what was technically a playoff revenge game when the Bengals eliminated to the Titans as the one seed from the playoffs a few years ago when they went on their Super Bowl run. And all of a sudden there's questions about is the Bengals O-line good enough? Uh, is Joe Burrow able to, you know, carry this team with a bad leg? And then you have weird stuff like the Chiefs building up a huge lead in MetLife Stadium, but Zach Wilson's leading a comeback against them as Mahomes throws a couple of unlikely interceptions. But then Mahomes has like a, a scramble and slide for a first down at the end of the game so that the Chiefs are able to run the clock out. There's, there's little storylines in all sorts of matchups every week. And... I'm just so grateful that we're back in this season where anything can happen. No, I don't think anyone would have sat here and said, oh yeah, the commander should take the Eagles to overtime this past week, but they did. And then you get to hear Ron Rivera say dumb stuff like, well, my offense was tired, so we didn't want to go for two. Ron, just let Eric Bieniemy handle the offense. Yeah. Don't, don't make calls like that, please. Um, 
but you also get things like just so many interesting things are happening on a weekly basis. We have stuff like Derek Carr working through all week to play a game for the saints. And then we have surprise announcements where Deshaun Watson isn't playing. And then, um, uh, Jimmy G is, you know, sitting out for the Raiders and starting a rookie in Aiden O'Connell who's trying to get his first career NFL win. You know, every game has its own unique storylines and subplots. And let's face it, there's not a lot of things like the drama of the NFL. And that's even before we get to any of the offseason drama that the NFL seems to be hyping lately as I don't know how many times they expect to show Donna Kelsey in the booth. They can show Donna Kelsey as many times as they want. I love Donna Kelsey. They just happen to show Donna Kelsey and uh, an artist on a regular basis when they are doing the Chiefs-Jets game. Uh, Derek, anything you want to add or any thoughts you have here? Because I just feel like it's so, it's so different and unique and we get all these like 16 storylines on a regular basis. And it's so much fun. Yeah. So on, uh, I, I am very, very, I am basking in the glow of this early NFL season. So last week, you know, not that I want to toot anyone's horn on that point, but the dolphins absolutely whooped up on the, uh, the Broncos scored 70 points it's you know oh it's the end of the world my think daniel is a genius he's he, i mean he's the next coming of every great offensive coach in the world this week oh the buffalo bills are the greatest thing since sliced bread they're gonna win a super bowl this year because they beat the dolphins okay are we, are we constantly on on hype uh we had a huge roller coaster um that uh okay coming into the season Aaron Rodgers is going to be the next best, you know, next next thing for the Jets. They're they're putting it all together. Something bad happens. Injuries happen, and it's unfortunate, especially in today's NFL. Um, but like to have that, like oh, and then it just you're just letting out a, a breath. Um, you know, you you've still got the. The Chiefs are still there. You know, the Eagles are still there. Um, the Cowboys have an up and down uh, week. Like, they're the greatest. They're going to win a Super Bowl this year. Oh, they lost to the Cardinals. Oh, but now they're good again. And the Commanders are, uh, you know, good. They're bad. They're winning games. They're not winning games. What's going on with them? The Lions are the the beast of the North, you know. Um, but the Packers, oh, Jordan loves great. Like we're jumping back and forth and then there's the reclamation projects. Then there's the Derek Carr goes to the saints. What's he going to do? Baker Mayfield jumps on a, uh, on three different teams in the same year. Uh, well, he's doing great for the Buccaneers are three and one right now. And then you, I mean, then you, and then you have the, the NFC West where of course the Niners, my bandwagon team are doing great. Seattle's still there. 
the Rams look better than expected, and the Cards are probably a couple of uh, plays away from uh, being one of the better teams in the in the NFC. This is always a storyline everywhere, and a few plays changes an entire season. Uh, a few defensive plays. And the Cardinals are three and one instead of one and three, just to use them as an example. Uh, and they beat the Cowboys. And then everyone's talking about, okay, where's the, you know, Jonathan Gannon is a is a genius because he's he's got this defense playing. And what's Cards going to do this year? And now we're looking at one and uh, a one and three team because of a couple of defensive plays. It's beautiful. I love football. Well, Derek, I think we could sit here and say how much we love football all, all day long. Um, but uh, I, one, I love showing the passion, but let's get into our goats of the week. Uh, do you mind if I go ahead and take this one first? Please do. All right. So uh, there once was a player that played for a team that was then known as the Oakland Raiders, mm. whose name was Khalil Mack. Um once uh, they they got a coach in there whose name was John Gruden, who uh, ended up getting fired down the line for uh, reasons. And uh, but Khalil Mack was in the middle of a contract dispute. He was in a contract dispute with the team, wanted an extension. They didn't want to give it to him, and they said we're going to ship him out. They found a uh, team that seemed slightly gullible uh, called the Chicago Bears, and they uh, were willing to give up two first round picks to get Khalil Mack and sign him to an extension. Mack has since joined the Los Angeles chargers where he gets to go ham against his old team twice a year and just really kind of get his revenge and get his revenge. He did. Uh, he was able to say welcome to the NFL to rookie quarterback, Aiden O'Connell six times. He had six sacks in the contest. Derek, uh, this is one of the most ridiculous things I think I've ever seen. It's not very often that I sit here and go, uh, what the heck was happening? How did he get six sacks? Uh, because normally it's not a number that goes that high. And it's not like the Chargers were getting all over him. Literally, it was Khalil Mack had six sacks, and I think they were registered as a team sack for another sack in that game. Um, the first possession that the Raiders even had it was second and five. Josh Jacobs loses two yard tackle by Mac. Aiden O'Connell sacked by Khalil Mack, like three and out. <laughs> like he kept doing it all game long. He forced fumbles that uh, got them a short field and a touchdown uh, in the second quarter. He set up, he got another fumble and sacked him twice to start the third quarter. Like, he was just going to town over and over and over again. And I love it. I love when a player just takes over a game. And uh, it, it felt like a throwback to me, Derek. I, I remember Khalil Mack from back in the day. Uh, I don't know if you remember him from uh, his Buffalo days as a Buffalo Bull. Uh when he played college football there, does, does that sound familiar to you? At oh all, yes. I remember that very well. Okay. Because uh, I specifically remember that he had a game where 
He was up against Ohio State and basically kept Buffalo single-handedly in the game against Ohio State for that that whole early season game. And it was like, what on earth is this guy and how does he do these things? But he was fantastic. I love the dude. Really excited to see him, even as an older player here, kind of get his revenge on the Raiders. And this podcast officially does not like the Raiders. Even if the Raiders called and said, Mm. we want to sponsor you, we would not take it. So, uh, Derek, uh, who is your GOAT of the week? I want to I want to jump on your goat just for a, a quick second. I just have a question. What are the analytics behind uh, six sacks? Just just ask you. That's that's probably good on the spreadsheet, right? Yes, I believe that puts him up with the the single season leaders so far this year for sacks. Yeah, probably. And I think he might only have them for this game. Yeah. So. Probably uh, probably doing pretty well. Um, so my goat is one of those goats um, that you blame for something and you did, they didn't do it. So uh, my goat is Justin Fields. He is getting trashed in the media. He can't win games. He's not great. He can't read defenses. Um, all that kind of stuff. Well, I'll tell you what right now. Um, the Broncos aren't that hard to read, and he read them pretty well. Uh, to the tune of 28 for 35, 335, and four touchdowns, one interception. He did get sacked four times, and that's most of those were on him. Uh, but he doesn't have a real great, uh, great offensive line either. Um, he did have a, a, a fumble that's uh, not great so yeah you put four and you have a uh, two turnovers not great but he was in that game all the way until the very end uh the broncos had a 21 point comeback if you're a quarterback out there um and i know in this this era of high scoring games and especially in the, in the the college football ranks at 21 points really is anything but 21 points is a lot in the NFL um, because you still have to go up against a professional athlete on defense and you still have to make your plays the fact that they were able to the Broncos were able to pull it out at the end yeah, through some efforts uh, of of their own, where Justin Fields couldn't march down the field uh, and win it for his team because he threw an interception. I get it. Before that, he went. Uh, he had four touchdowns, zero interceptions, and a fumble lost. He did his day. He did what he needed to do, and he. <laughs> He, I'm, I'm not sure what else he could have. If he, if he had a fifth touchdown, is that going to all of a sudden, oh, they won, they beat the Broncos, the Broncos are trash. Okay, we're all playing that. Let's look at the last couple of weeks. So they got blown out the week before. He went 11 for 22 for 99 yards, one and one. That's an absolute trash game. Should not have happened. Can't, uh, can't happen. Buccaneers, 16 for 29. For 211, 
pretty good game, had a touchdown, a couple interceptions, but did have a rushing touchdown to go with it. Week one versus the Packers, an 18-point loss, 24 for 37 for 216, uh, a touchdown, an interception, and a fumble lost. Yeah, those aren't great stats in the in the overall scheme, but they're not uh, Nathan Peterman stats. They're not uh, four interceptions and a half. They're he is is going out there, and if your offense can't play to your quarterback, he gave he gave the Bears every chance to win, except for the very last drive. And we cannot pin. We, as in podcasters, media, whatever you want to call it, we cannot pin this loss on Justin Fields. Yeah, there's probably going to be a new quarterback in a Bears uniform next year. I don't know what his future holds, but for one week, I'm giving Justin Fields a pass. If anything, what I like about this, Derek, is I just like the fact that there's 60 minutes of football. Like, let's not make it about one drive. There were several drives in the second half that did not go the way that the Bears needed them to in order for the Broncos to get that comeback. If, you know, they held the lead, it's not Fields' fault that they, <laughs> you know, if they're able to hold it, the, the you know, why you don't have to go down and score again if you still have the lead, but that's just not how things turned out. So I don't know. I I love the fact that there's so many plays. There's a lot of plays that can go up and down. Don't just make it about one drive or one possession. Uh, Derek, uh, while we're here and you're talking about a quarterback that is not playing very well, but it did play well this coming past week. Uh, can I go ahead and get to the NFL stock watch and uh, let, let me just sell a little bit there to start the season. Okay. Do you, are, are you selling your stuff or myself? Yeah, my I, I want to I sell mine first. Okay. Go ahead and sell yours. Um, because I'm taking the Patriots and, you know, there was a lot of things that we said last year to make fun of the Patriots. Like why is Joe judge and, Matt Patricia calling the place. They need a real offensive head coach. Uh, Derek, are you aware of who is calling the plays for the offense this year? Uh, Bill, Bill O'Brien. Bill O'Brien. I, I almost said Bill Beanbow. I was like, that's the O-line coach for OU. I can't think. Yeah, uh, I know. It's okay. Bill O'Brien. I, I, I surprised you with that one. That was not yeah. in our pre-podcast discussion. So, uh, so far this year, the Patriots have scored 55 points through four games. That is 13.8 points per game, which is 30th of 32 teams. Not good. Um, Bill O'Brien is there. He is a offensive head coach. Previously had been a head coach after he left the Patriots in the past of Penn State, where he had decent success and then was the play caller in Deshaun Watson's best seasons with the Houston Texans. Now, don't call Bill Bryan a great GM. We will completely shut that down on this podcast. Anyway, 
he was supposed to come in and be some sort of like savior-esque type thing for the Patriots offense. It's not happening. Uh, the Patriots offense is still bad. And a lot of that, in my opinion, has to do with a, a quarterback by the name of Michael McCorkle Jones. Uh, that is where he gets his nickname. His mi- uh, middle name is McCorkle. McCorkle? Yes. <laughs> Michael McCorkle Jones. And so, uh, McCorkle, you need to at least find a way to get to like 38 points in a game or something where you can keep up with some of these offenses in the AFC East. And yes, I know you got to win over the Jets. Uh, that's the Jets. That doesn't count. I'm talking about the Bills and the Dolphins that are completely crushing points and going everywhere in your division. I just don't think there's any way, any way that you're going to be able to keep up. It's bad. You're you're not playing well. And if I go and look at your stats to start the year, you have five passing touchdowns and four interceptions. I mean, heck, we were even just talking about Justin Fields having four passing touchdowns in a game. Not like four for the season. Well, five for the season, but he does have four picks, so that doesn't really help. They only have one rushing touchdown this season in New England, Derek. Yeah. This is bad. This is very bad. Uh, I thought there was a chance that the Patriots offense was going to do better with Bill O'Brien at the helm. I still was questionable of the level of talent the team had. And I somewhat think that Mac Jones just isn't good. Now, I will give him a little bit of a a pass for the 35-point loss to the Dallas Cowboys because their defense is really, really good. However, he should be facing a decent defense, if not a good defense in practice every week. Uh, but maybe not as much right now because Matt Judon's going down with a bicep injury. I, all I know is I'm selling Mac Jones. I'm selling the Patriots offense. I'm selling the Patriots playoff chances. I'm selling uh, something if Tom Brady wants to sign it. Uh, I would sell sand from where he announced his retirement if I had it. But like I'm just selling anything and everything that has to do with Pat the Patriot. Uh Derek, am I wrong or, or do you think that I'm I'm pretty accurate on what I'm selling here? No, I'm 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 definitely selling that as well. I love me some Mac Jones. I, I like his poise. I like what he brings to the team. I like his skill set. I don't know if his skill set's there. Like I don't know if it's an NFL level skill set that like, okay, so the the Ravens built an offense for Lamar Jackson. The Eagles built an offense for Jalen Hurts. Uh, you know, let's just use those guys as, as an example. Because they had exceptional skill and they did something really, really well. Um, Mac Jones does something really, really well. And that is to get the ball out to Heisman-level receivers. Uh when when he was at Alabama, he didn't have the level of receivers that he has now. And what I mean by that is he took a step back when he went from Alabama to the NFL. Um, 
they're, they're, I mean, they're, we'll just look at the level of, of receivers that are out there in the NFL now. So making his own offense, making the plays on his own, or having to be the guy that puts the ball in a, in a window where a receiver isn't um, like making the play. Cause there's a difference between a quarterback throwing the ball for a catch and a receiver catching the ball for a catch. Um, some guys throw the ball to a, to some guy with a name on the back of his Jersey and basically sticks it in the helmet where they can't not catch it. There's other guys that get the ball out and Jerry Rice catches it. Like Jerry Rice had had very good quarterbacks, but he was the one who was catching the ball. He 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 did what he had to do to get the ball into his hands to make the play. Um Mac Jones is really good at getting the ball to super awesome receivers. In the in this offense, he has to get the ball to receivers. Um, it's, he, he's playing the wrong side of the, of the fence. And I'm, I'm not sure in the NFL, you're ever going to have that unless you go to the Bengals. Like they have three really great receivers or, uh, they, they have, they, so Joe Burrow basically needs to get the ball out from his hands into super great wide receiver hands. I don't know if this offense is like yeah, they they play the same offense and at Alabama basically, but I don't know if Mac Jones is the answer, and I know Tom Brady isn't walking back to the door. So what I'm hearing you say is you think that Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle are better receivers than Kendrick Bourne and Juju Smith Schuster. I'm saying that Jerry Judy is a uh, is a better receiver than uh, than Juju Smith Schuster. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, I didn't mention Devonte Parker, but I think that that goes without saying. Correct. Um, I it's it's not good up there in New England on the offensive side of the ball. That is for sure. Uh, Derek, uh, what are you selling this week? Okay, so everyone knows that we're on stock watch right now. I am not a good day trader. Uh, I am not very good uh, with stocks, frankly. I I invest in just the basic stuff and just let it, you know, don't even really look at it. Uh, so when uh, when you hear me talk about I am selling this, you know that you're going to have to go buy it. Plain and simple, I am not a good prognosticator of how stocks are going to be. That being said, last week I sold the Heisman hopes of Caleb Williams. Uh, this last weekend, he goes out here and puts up six touchdowns in a win over Colorado. A win, by the way, that was way too close for comfort. Um when your quarterback puts up six touchdowns. Uh, so uh, he went 30 for 40 for 403 yards, which is a 75% completion, six touchdowns, one interception. Uh, it just looked really good doing it. Uh, on the year, he has, was it 9, 12, 
uh, 21 touchdowns, one interception. Like, maybe, uh, maybe it's not... Maybe maybe it's not over quite yet uh, for for Caleb Williams. He did have that uh, that big noon game that everyone saw. A lot of times you just have issues with the Pac-12 because uh, they play at night generally, or they play after the East Coast goes to bed. Um, that being said, never listen to me um, when it comes to uh, to what to sell. I am full on paper hands. Uh, full on, just just don't listen to me. I, I'm going to sell stuff way too soon. I'm not going to make any money back on my investments. Uh, so I am selling my own opinions of Caleb Williams. I like where you're coming from. I like where you're coming from, you know, realizing that uh, you want to go ahead, turn things around and give give things another chance. Um, Derek. Uh, I want to hear what you're buying this week. You know, uh, it is it is one of those things where when when the time is right, it feels like a bull market, and you want to go out there and just feel that optimism. And who are you feeling optimistic about today? Okay, so there's a reason why people still buy Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, which owns Google. Uh, the, why they buy that stock? They are expensive. But if you hold them, they're going to go up in value. They're going to make you money. It is almost a certainty unless something comes along and just completely destroys everything you're expecting. For me, my Apple stock is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, The dude just balls out. He had three touchdowns this last weekend in less than two quarters versus the Cardinals. Now, you're saying, Derek, this is the Cardinals. The Cardinals aren't good. They're bad. I just gave them praise just about five, ten minutes ago as a team that, other than a uh, this last weekend, they've, they've been in all three of their games and won one of those um, pr- prior to this last weekend. Uh, they're a pretty good team. They're a pretty good defense. And everyone knows what's com- what's coming when it comes to the 49ers, it's just, can you stop it? And you know what? The NFL this year can't stop Christian McCaffrey. That offense is humming. And the only thing that can stop that is something that's happened in the past. And we're not jinxing anything, but uh, you know, you just don't want some kind of disruption in how that, uh, that stock is running. I like it, Derek. You know, sometimes you're just got to be willing to come out here and say, uh, this guy's awesome. I want more. Give me more of that good stuff. I want more on that good stock. Like, yeah, you need to diversify and everything, but also uh, when you find a solid a solid company, you just want to keep reinvesting. Um, speaking of reinvesting, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb here, and I'm just buying... Dan Quinn as a head coach in 2024. Uh, he's been with the Dallas Cowboys now for a couple of seasons. Uh, turned that defense around, has made Micah Parsons look like a legend. And uh, we're forgetting that this guy was able to go ahead and go to a 43 and 42 record, get the Falcons to a Super Bowl in 
the 2016 season. And I think that he just didn't have things going well underneath him. Uh, when Shanahan left, he didn't have someone that he was able to land on on that offensive side of the ball. And I really just believe that he can come back and become a head coach of a solid NFL franchise again. So while we're here, uh, we're going to go ahead and take a look at the odds for the first NFL head coach to be fired this season. Uh, so we have just some potential landing spots for Dan Quinn because the first three odds on this, Derek, are, are all pretty close together. Mm-hmm. Uh, first NFL head coach fired Josh McDaniels. Uh, Dan Quinn would then be in your division. Uh, currently, the Raiders would have the third overall pick in the draft. And so they'll, let's say they want to start from scratch. They want a new quarterback there. Uh, they could get someone pretty high. Uh, would that make you nervous, Dan Quinn, as the Raiders head coach? No. Dan Quinn uh, would have to re- redo that, that entire roster. And there's the guy with the last name of Davis in the front office. And so the Raiders are always going to be the Raiders. That's fair. To be fair, I don't know that he's going to take the the least attractive job openings that could be these spots that are first on this list. Uh, second, Matt Eberflew, the head coach of the Chicago Bears. Uh, the Bears are our situation, and I don't want to rag on them too much because I am a Packers fan. Uh, but Derek, right now, the Bears actually would have the first and second pick in the draft. That is tempting. That's tempting. You get Caleb Williams, and let's say you can get the best offensive lineman or the best pass rusher or someone who you feel like could be another Micah Parsons, uh, you take that. You take that and go there, Dan Quinn. Uh, this one might be the, the most interesting take that I have here. The next one on the list is the, the Bears opponent on Thursday night. Ron Rivera potentially being the first NFL head coach fired. Uh, they've got him rated high up there. Uh, he's at plus 250. After that, it gets to like plus 900 on these coaches. Uh, I think the commanders are doing okay. I, I think, I don't know if some of that's like his comments this week, like his team was tired, uh, you know, didn't want to go for two. Uh, it's one of the worst things I've ever heard a coach say, but I don't know that I think that Rivera's on the hot seat that much, but it is new ownership and new ownership tends to want to find new things. Uh, Dan Quinn could stay in the division with the commanders and really have an impact on that young defense with players like Chase Young. Um, Wherever he goes, I think Dan Quinn is going to be a head coach next year. He's just doing too much with this Dallas defense to not get another opportunity and land on his feet in a solid spot. Uh, Derek, what do you think about Dan Quinn? Do you think he deserves another chance? Hold on. You're telling me that the commanders would rather go with Dan Quinn over just promoting Eric Bieniemy? I don't know. This That's the, weird. I think that there would be a chance they would promote, but it's, it's the commanders. Uh, I know it's new ownership, but let's not act like I, I know what the commanders want to do because it's uh, a new ownership group and they may say, you know what? We just want to start with scratch with someone that we picked. I mean, it's a good point. I mean, you, you want to get that defense going 
and you're going to be, you know, the outlier, let's say, in, uh, you know, if, you, if, if he was to go to the commanders, you would have a, a defensive coach. I mean, the, the, the Eagles are really good defensively. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give them that. But like a lot of their a lot of the talk is on the as on the offense yeah. for the Briani, Dable and McCarthy are all offensive minds. Yeah. And Quinn would be the defensive mind to kind of mess with them. Yeah, so having like a really good defense in that division could be could be something. Um, I am I'm going to have the the negative opinion here, um, as I'm definitely not uh, buying what you're selling. Dan Quinn stays D D coordinator. Plain simple, he is amazing at what he's doing. Um, He is living a really great life. And I mean, I get it that everyone wants to be a head coach. I get it. But man, I think that Jerry Jones, his hand doesn't get tired from writing checks. You could probably get paid like a head coach and run that defense. And he's got something going on. I know that much. That's fair. That's fair. Let's go ahead and switch it up, Derek. Let's go to college for our game of the week, which is, of course, uh, we're going to the Cotton Bowl for the Red River rivalry between Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, before we get into our matchup to watch, Derek, uh, what are your thoughts uh, as a, an Oklahoma-based podcast? Uh, what are your thoughts about o- OU Texas that Saturday and just kind of the environment that we have uh, here in the Sooner State as that game kicks off, even though neither of us are Sooners? Yeah, so if you've ever... Uh, gotten close to an electric fence. Um, we live in Oklahoma. I've been, I touched a couple of them, but um, where you get a little bit closer and a little bit closer, and you can feel the electricity in the air between you and the electric fence. Every day that passes uh, after the to the Sunday before that Saturday, every day that gets a little bit closer, you can feel the electricity in the air. Uh, for this game, um, so both teams, this is there's this is the Super Bowl. Doesn't really matter if you win a national championship or even go to the national championship. Of course, you want to, you know, you want to go and win the national championship. But did you win the uh, Texas Oklahoma game? Uh, of course, I'm not a an OU fan, but I'm also not an OU hater. Um, I am not a Texas fan, and yes, I am a Texas hater. Uh, just can't stand there. There needs to be one color of orange in the Big Twelve, and we're kicking them out next year. Uh, every the, the the Texas fans are just obnoxious, and there's enough of them up here in Oklahoma that I don't know what they're doing here. Uh, so yeah, it it is a it's a spectacle. It's an event. It is something that even if you don't have a dog in the fight, you uh, or dog in the hunt. I'm, I don't know what that uh, that phrase is anymore. Dog in the hunt anymore. You're still going out into the field. Like it is. Uh, it's it's it, it it is it's it's kind of like watching the Super Bowl. Like I said before, where even sports fans watch it for the commercials. Well, even. Uh, non-sports Oklahoma fans watch it or know about it because it's a great weekend. Absolutely, Derek. And I feel like in general, the the battle for the golden hat 
is just one of the ones where the I feel like it's almost like things shut down. Like if, if we were to go out and go somewhere during the game on Saturday, there wouldn't be things really happening that many places. Like a lot of stores would be empty um, because people are just so connected to this contest. I would almost say, I think that as a state that doesn't have an NFL team, I almost feel like people care more about OU Texas than the Super Bowl here. Like it's just a different vibe, a different feel. Um, I do know that Texas leads the overall series 63, 50 and five, and they did win the last one, but I also know this is the game that they will talk about. If your team is struggling or even if you are winning a ton of games, but losing the Red River rivalry, you will be called out for it. So it's always interesting to keep an eye on, see how things are going. And let's face it, this week we've got two 5-0 teams going to face off at the Cotton Bowl. I believe that the rankings are 12-3. and Uh, I didn't look that up right now, but that's what I believe I had seen before. Uh, Derek, what is your matchup to watch in this weekend's contest? Uh, So, yeah, for me, this is going to have to be the big names that are on the teams at quarterback. Uh, Right now, we are sitting at Quinn Ewers and Dylan Gabriel. Um, This game in the future will have bigger names for each team. Arch Manning and Jackson Arnold, two of the top five uh, young players in college football right now when it comes to the quarterback position as they're moving through to the uh, to the SEC next year. We'll probably see those two as both of these guys are moving on. But for now, um, Quinn Ewers, which no one expected, well, I say no one, no one outside of Texas uh, thought he was going to start this year um, as they were going to get the, the Arch Manning uh, era started early and they were going to to have him go give him a year in the Big 12 before they move to the SEC. Don't have, don't toss them out there against SEC defenses. Well, Quinn Ewers is looking good this year. Like he looks like the guy who um, went to Ohio State and then went and then got a better offer uh, for NIL at Texas. Um, he is the guy now that people expected him to be a couple of years back. That's good. That's fine. Uh, you know, anyone with a Texas jersey is not my favorite person. On the other side of the ball is Dylan Gabriel. Now, Dylan Gabriel, now, it, because we live in Oklahoma, we listen to a lot of Oklahoma-based sports media. If you were to listen to these guys, you would think that Dylan Gabriel is Alan Bowman, uh, the quarterback for Oklahoma State. Like, this guy is just dog poo-poo and is not a uh, not a good quarterback. Dylan Gabriel is top five in efficiency and touchdown passes and yards in college football right now. Uh, yeah, he's missed a, a few plays this year, but so has every other quarterback. This is going to come down to OU is going to have to throw the ball to win. Uh, Texas is going to have to 
play a good offense, uh, a good offensive scheme, which Steve Sarkeesian probably has up his sleeve. But once again, you're wearing a, a, a Texas hoodie that day. I don't like you. Uh, and Quinn Ewers is going to have to ball out a little bit um, to stretch the field because Brent Venables, he's got this defense going this year. And I think it's, I think it's a, uh, it's going to come down to those two quarterbacks because even if it comes to somebody else, these are the two faces of the teams. And these are the guys who are going to take the blame when one of them loses. I'm just now realizing how interesting it is that we're talking about uh, quarterbacks in the OU Texas game when uh, this is the game that launched Caleb Williams' career just Correct. a couple of years ago. Correct. And uh, that is not the storyline now, of course, with him out at USC. Um, I went ahead and I picked a senior on both sides of the ball because I think that it's going to be something that Texas is going to want to do is try to make OU one-dimensional, force it to be a passing game. And so I picked the matchup between senior running back Marcus Major of Oklahoma and senior linebacker Jalen Ford of the Texas Longhorns. Now, you could say Caleb Major's not even always the first on the depth chart. I, I went with the senior because I went with a senior. At some point when this is your last chance to show out, in the OU Texas series, you want to be able to go out there and make your moment. Um, Marcus Major, he like I said, he's a senior. He's from Oklahoma City. He's grown up around this rivalry. He knows how all of this feels. And he's had some injuries in the past few years. I want to be able to see him come out and really just have a moment to try to shine. And of course, Jalen Ford is going to try to shut that down. Uh, Jalen Ford, as someone who's listed as like an inside linebacker, Derek, he's listed at 6'3", 242, and he has two picks already this year. Uh, I don't know about you, but that's a, a sizable person that I don't think I want to mess with. He's wearing number 41 on that Texas defense, and Marcus Majors will be wearing 24 in the OU backfield. So I think that if OU can keep the run game going, maybe keep Quinn Ewers on the sideline, some of those star Texas receivers on the sideline because OU has not faced an offense like Texas all year. And at least Texas can say they've played Alabama. So uh, they've already got a tougher game under their belt this season. But when it's a rivalry, these teams could be, you know, OU could be 5-0 and and Texas could be 1-4 and and it would be an interesting game. You never know what's going to happen in a rivalry game and I'm just excited to see how this one plays out. Uh, any other thoughts on that, Derek? Yeah, if OU runs the ball and they they get effectively start uh, running the ball and keeping the off- the Texas offense on the other side, that's the easiest way that OU is going to win this game. Um, and one of the few ways that I see like the pathway for them to uh, to win. So yeah, it, it it's going to take it's going to take that very thing. And I and I like uh, I like your matchup. Awesome. Well, let's uh, exchange some high fives and handshakes, Derek, as as we go over to everyone's favorite segment, our Brody Bets. Yeah, let's head over. So this week I am taking the handshake um, as the person with the better uh, percentage win uh, 
for the Brody Bets as because Oklahoma State was not playing last week, I went two and two versus Caleb's two and three. So I, I, I went 500 uh, versus because I didn't have to uh, have my uh, my team out there except your your college game. Do you actually did win? So good. Uh, good on you for that one. Um I uh, so the my bets last week with my Broncos uh, minus three and a half. The Broncos won by three. Uh, I had the directional Michigan schools of Central Michigan versus Eastern Michigan, uh, and the seven and a half. Uh, seven and a half there. They only won by three, so did not win that. But my two wins, Baylor plus 11 and a half at Central Florida. Baylor won that outright, 36-35. And the, my wild card game, uh, Oregon minus 27 and a half at Stanford. Oregon won by 36. So a lot closer than uh, I would really like, but Oregon still uh, got me the win. Uh, Caleb, on the other hand, won the Nebraska one that he had. He had uh, Nebraska over Nebraska, Michigan over forty. Um, Michigan took care of that for you, at uh, forty-five to seven. Uh, the Packers had a tough loss with uh, when he had even money. Uh, Lions won thirty-four to twenty. Uh, his favorite, the Chiefs. Uh, one by three when he had them at a nine and a half point favorite at the Jets. The underdog, uh, Kansas Jayhawks, plus 17 at Texas. Texas won that game by 26, so uh, did not uh, cover. And his his win, that uh, surprise, I, it did surprise me that he, he got the win on this one, as I thought uh, that was a bad pick but turned out to be a good pick is his dolphins and bills over 53 and a half. Um, they got to 68. So easily won that one really great. Uh, really great. And I, I give you your high five, your two high fives for your wins. And I will take this week's handshake as uh, I had the better percentage of, uh, of winning, even though we both won two games. Uh, before the podcast started, you want to talk about this week's uh, college games that we had. What uh, what was going on, Caleb? So uh, both of us get some Friday night lights in our in our lives this week because uh, instead of going to Saturday, we get America's Brightest Orange uh, versus Kansas State, and then uh, Nebraska gets to play against uh, one of the world's ugliest oranges uh, against Illinois. <laughs> And so uh, Friday Night Lights is a great time. Uh, what do you think of your Gundy Grinders uh, as they are a 12 and a half point underdog against Kansas State at home and the over under of on that game of 55? Yeah, so I do not know what is going to happen in this game because um, they are a lot like the Broncos in that they are probably going to get down big and then come back later on. They did it uh, the last game they played and almost pulled it out. So for me, I think there's going to be some points scored in this game. So I'm taking the over on the 55 um, as my Gundy, after a bye week, probably has got a, a different offense installed, probably has done some 
some video work and like, okay, here's what we need to do versus these guys. Uh, so I'm taking the over 55. Uh, moving over to your Huskers. Um, it's uh, plus three and a half versus those Illinois. Where are you going with your Huskers? So I took the over last week and felt pretty good about it. I'm going to go ahead and actually take the under this week. If you think mm. that you want to see a whole lot of points scored, go watch Derek's contest between Oklahoma State and K-State. If you want to watch uh, offensive linemen and defensive linemen, uh, go watch the Nebraska Illinois game. Uh, I may have just given the best pitch for Derek to mm. not watch an Oklahoma State game ever. Uh, <laughs> but I do think that it's going to be, I mean, uh, Brett Bielema is the coach of Illinois. Matt Rule is working with some things at Nebraska. Nebraska's already had a couple of running backs get hurt this year. I don't think anyone is putting up a ton of points. I think it's going to be a low-scoring affair. Nebraska just trying to find a way to to get there. And I think it's going to be a scrappy one where uh, the first team to 20 may just win it outright. But it's not going to be pretty football unless you, you like seeing uh, some scrums. And that's okay. We, we don't mind a good scrum every now and again. So I'm going to say three yards and a cloud of dust exactly. in, uh, in that game. Classic Big Ten football. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I am going to full on, I'm jumping on a bandwagon this week. I'm hopping off of one bandwagon onto another bandwagon this week as I am a packer backer for this particular week. Uh, since uh, since you were just uh, talking about your Cornhuskers, why don't you tell the fine people why I'm jumping on the Packer principal wagon? I don't know. I'm trying to I'm trying alliteration. Uh, you are a proud Packer this week because you are taking uh, the Cheeseheads. They are a two-point favorite at Allegiant Stadium, and as they are going into the black hole and facing the Las Vegas Raiders, uh, the over-under on that game is currently at 44 points. I'm going to keep it simple. I'm going to just take the Packers minus the two. Does it make a ton of sense? Possibly not. But they have a ton of rest, uh, 10 days of rest after their last game. Aiden O'Connell just got sacked six times by Khalil Mack last week. Uh, Rashawn Gary is coming to town. He's hungry. Preston Smith. Uh, these guys want some of that action. And if there's one spot I feel good about the Packers, it's the defensive line. If there's one spot I feel bad about the Packers, it's the offensive line right now. Uh, it just hasn't been the best lately. So give me the Packers minus two as they go ahead and go, just just crush the Raiders and maybe make them think that they don't want to be a franchise anymore. Uh, Derek, uh, let's go to uh, ride with Broncos country. Uh, what do they have going on this week on Sunday? So they are favored versus the Jets. Jets coming to town. Um, Sons, former Packer, Aaron Rodgers. So the over-under for this game is 43 and a half. Um, so I don't, I'm not sure exactly how many points uh, the Jets can score. Like, I know that the Broncos defense isn't great but i'm not sure they can put up um 25 points um frankly with the with the quarterback they have 
And the Broncos versus that Robert Sala defense is not going to be pretty. So I'm going under the 43 and a half. Um, it's a pretty low number, but I think that Russell Wilson is going to have a, a nice game, you know, put up two touchdowns, let's say, um, and 250 yards, but nothing happens on the ground. And it's a what 21 14 game in, in the grand scheme of things. So I have under 43 and a half for the Broncos and Jets. Uh, so I want to talk about a team real quick that actually um, has won some things recently. Um, and that's going to be the Alabama Crimson Tide. So if there wasn't a OU Texas game this weekend, my next game is going to be the one that I would be watching and be looking uh, look for looking forward to. So this is Alabama heading down to College Station. Bama is a two and a half point favorite, which is, you know, not a, not a, a large spread when it comes to what Bama normally gets versus just about any other SEC team. But this is kind of personal for both coaches. So Jimbo Fisher. Uh, down in Texas A&M, he has great recruiting classes. Uh, you know, they have good NIL money down there. He can get basically whomever he wants. But once they get on campus, Texas A&M really has underperformed. Uh, Bama, on the other hand, similar. They've, they've got boosters, and, and Bama is Bama. They've won some national championships lately. Um, this is just personal uh between Nick Saban and Jimbo Fisher. So I'm watching I, I I this game I am I am all on and I am taking Alabama uh minus two and a half at College Station, Texas AM University. I like that favorite pick, Derek. Uh I stayed in college for my favorite as well as I uh went went back to my Big Ten, stayed familiar with who I know and uh, on Big Ten Saturday night on NBC, Michigan is going to go to Minnesota and play hunting at Huntington Bank Stadium, home of the Golden Gophers. Uh, not quite as well known as College Station, but that's okay. Uh, Michigan is a 19 and a half point favorite. I think they're going to throttle them, and uh, we'll probably see so many shots of Jim Harbaugh. And it will be sad uh, because I will remember them stomping all over us the prior week. But I will be happy because they will definitely cover this 19 and a half point spread as Minnesota is not that good at football this year. Uh, Derek, uh, who is your, your underdog this week? Yeah, so I'm staying in the SEC. Uh, I really like the games they have this week. And so for me, a really good story um, coming out of the SEC is the Kentucky Wildcats. You know, if, remember last year they had Will Levis, you know, will he, won't he, is he going to be the number one pick in the draft? And then there was a whole bunch of letdown. Um, like, okay, he's leaving. They, they don't have a team anymore or whatever. Um, so Coach Stoops is doing some things in Kentucky um, and they are actually ranked right now. They are a 14 and a half point underdog to uh, the University of Georgia, which 
Georgia's won two straight national championships and just seems to be on a tear no matter what, even though they've kind of taken a step back this year offensively. Um, I guess they needed a geriatric quarterback to, to run that offense. But uh, I have Kentucky covering the 14 and a half because I think it's going to be, you know, a, a, a 10 to 14 point game. So I have Kentucky covering the 14 and a half at Athens, Georgia, the University of Georgia. What about you? What about your underdog? Tell me about, uh, I think you're going to the NFL for this one. So uh, it's interesting. Both of the games are going to be in Georgia, but I've just got to say <laughs> uh, Kentucky went down to Georgia. They were looking for a win to steal. They were in a bind because they were way behind and they were willing to make a deal. Uh, thank you, Charlie Daniels, for the inspiration on that one. Uh, but I'm going with the uh, the Texans plus one at the Atlanta Falcons uh, just down the road. So if you enjoy the Kentucky-Georgia game on Saturday, maybe you'll watch the Texans-Falcons game on Sunday. The Texans have been good the last couple of weeks. And I feel like this is something that people don't really get or understand. But they've come out and crushed the last two games, they, they made the Jaguars look embarrassing and as they beat them 37 to 17, and then they beat the Steelers 30 to six. I mean, we're talking about the Steelers, like they're an organization that's known for having some pride. Uh, CJ Stroud has looked good. They get the ball to Nico Collins and tank Dell and the Falcons started off with a couple of wins but I just don't think that they're going to be able to to keep pace with a Texans team that I just think is is better at this point. So I think that the Texans are going to come out and surprise them, get a winning record for the first time in I don't know how long, and uh, just have a, a wonderful win there in Atlanta. I'm gonna I'm gonna jump on that as as well. Really good pick. Uh, for you, CJ Stroud does look good. I did not give him his props uh, properly when he got drafted. I, did, I thought it was a bad pick. Man, was I wrong. And uh, he is looking really, really good. So um, I want to, uh, to make it up to some folks here when it comes to me having bad takes. Uh, so earlier I talked about my bad opinion that I was selling on Caleb Williams. Well, my wild card is going to try to make up for that. Um, I have the Arizona Wildcats and the USC Trojan. The number is 71 and a half. That's a lot of points. But honestly, I think I think the the over is going to hit on this one as I think the uh, Alex Grinch defense, and I've watched a lot of Alex Grinch defense um, that the USC has because uh, he used to, to be at Oklahoma. Uh, even if they put up, it's a 50 to 30 game. Um, Arizona, you know, it's, it's a, a 21, 25 point game, whatever it is. It's still going to get over 71 because I think, Caleb is going to do another five or six touchdowns probably. And uh, this could go back and forth. So my wild card, Arizona. So my wild card is the wild cats. There we go. Uh, and USC over 71 and a half. 
you have a, a high-scoring game involving some cats, and I decided to go with a low-scoring game that also involves cats, but I'm going to the NFL. It is a noon kickoff game. Uh, I just haven't been impressed with the Bryce Young Panthers offense that Frank Reich is running out there. I think they're still getting some things together, struggling on the O-line. I think that the Lions are going to win this game, probably cover that nine and a half potentially, but I think it's going to be a low scoring game, like a 24 to 10, 27 to 10. And so I'm mainly just wanted to lean on the Panthers Lions under 45 because nine and a half is not a fun number to play with. I did that last week with the chiefs and I felt very good about that. Uh, I did not want to, take that nine and a half line again. So give me the Panthers Lions to go under 45 as I, I think the Panthers could be facing a shutout in this one. Who I, uh, that's a, that's a very interesting, really, really interesting play under 45. Yeah, I, I could see it. I could see it. Good pick. Both teams know how to play defense and they, like to play physical so it'll be interesting to see how that one turns out but that's all that we've got here on this one friends i definitely appreciate you all listening make sure that you subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen and you can find all those places in our link tree linktr.ee slash brody talk and you can also interact with us on twitter or slash x at brody talk On behalf of my co-host, Derek, my name is Caleb Walgren. Thank you for listening, and we are signing out. Later, y'all. Bye, guys.